Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning, we finished Exodus. We went all the way through Exodus 40, all the way through that last chapter of Exodus, which is Exodus 40. And uh, we we talked about a lot of things, like, during the show. Do you see, I always try to give you a little bit of a backdrop in the first half hour to what we're basically going to be talking about when we're going to look at, like, a chapter of Exodus or one of the minor prophets or major prophets or... Or one of the New Testament books. We've done an awful lot. We've got thousands of videos, uh, audios up. Hopefully we're going to start doing videos. And uh, the idea is to give you an idea of what the Bible is really talking about. Because it appears to me that most of the people haven't got a clue what the Bible is talking about. And what they think the Bible is all about. And uh, so, therefore, they're under a strong delusion and practicing false religion. And and they may be good people, generally speaking, good people. I mean, there were a lot of good people that were Pharisees. I'm sure all the Pharisees weren't mean and cruel and trying to kill people and all this kind of stuff. Some of them were. Some of them were swearing that they were going to kill Paul. They weren't going to cut their hair or whatever it was uh, until they kill Paul. And Paul used to be the Pharisee of Pharisee, but that's the ones they hate the most. It's kind of like the, the transgender people, the kids who are convinced that they're transgender and then they go out and they start transitioning and then they realize they're not really transgender, that uh, they were actually doing this because there were seemed to be a transgender community. Of people who would give them all kinds of support and affirm their their sexual or gender dysphoria, and so they felt like they belonged. These people were open arms and accepting, but as soon as they begin to have doubts, now they're heretics. Now they attack them vehemently, attack them abusively, attack them. They don't care whether they drive them into depression and commit suicide. They're thinking something different than us, so we're after them. They hate them. Uh, there, there are political parties out there that are actually the political parties of hate and violence. They're the ones who say, yeah, you get in their face and you, you know, the wrath comes down on them and, and uh, you show them they're not welcome. Well, that's all, all that rhetoric is coming out of the party who is constantly saying that the other party is the party of hate and racism and all this stuff. Well, the fact is both parties are in trouble because both parties are engaged in covetous practices. One more than the other, but that's, that's, that's all part of 1984, you know. You have to create these different groups. You have the this party, and then you have that party, and then you have the underground, and they're controlling all of it. <laughs> so, and they're creating the dichotomy of conflict. And they're getting people all mixed up. 
and they have moved people into a mass psychosis. And part of that mass psychosis is that people thought, well, those people were in the bondage of Egypt, but we're not in the bondage of Egypt. But of course, we know now those of, and if you don't believe me, we're not going to go over all of it. <laughs> those who don't believe me, you can go back and there are audios on almost every chapter of Exodus. Uh, I hope to put in another uh, couple of audios up this afternoon after I get off the air. I actually got in here just six minutes before and I, I'm still working on all of our pages on sacrifice. Offerings. What we call offerings. Uh, or you could call them sacrifice. Sometimes the same word for sacrifice is called offerings. And and I was just working on a page for turtle doves. Because you got to kill turtle doves. You know, I mean, that's, that's part of the sacrifice, right? Killing turtle doves. Right? Uh, I mean, that's what it says. I mean, like uh, Genesis fifteen nine, And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. <laughs> so, so you got to get all these things together. And it's like, you know, why does God want all these things, you know, what's he going to do with them? <laughs> and he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the bird divided he not. So he didn't divide the bird. Oh, my goodness. So why didn't he divide the bird? And when the fowl came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away because there were vultures that came down. He supposedly killed all these animals and vultures came down. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. So he was actually having some sort of experience, uh, some sort of religious experience. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Well, that's what we just talked about. Getting out of, you know, Exodus, getting out of that, that bondage for 400 years that his descendants, his seed, the Israelites, you know, Joseph and all of his brothers and, and even their father were going to be in bondage. Not just them, but generation after generation after generation were going to be in bondage for 400 years. And what was that bondage? 20% of their labor belonged to the government. Uh, the land they had, the animals they had, belonged to the government. Uh, we keep getting... These surveys, because we have a handful of sheep and a few cows. And so we're getting the surveys from the agricultural department that says, you know, fill out all these surveys. And so, you know, they say, under law, you have to respond to this survey. And I haven't filled any of them out. I, I got one of them and I was opened it up and was contemplating, should I fill it out or not? And of course, I'm asking God in my heart. 
and whether I should fill it out or not. Because my God doesn't live in Washington, D.C. My God is in heaven. And lo and behold, before I got to filling it out, or deciding I should, I kind of put off for a day or two, wondering. The phone rang. I answered the phone. It's somebody from the agricultural department. Old guy. I actually know the guy. I've met him before. Talked to him out there on the front step. And he asked if I had received it. And I said, yeah, I was actually contemplating whether I should fill it out or not. He told me not to fill it out. That he was going to drive out and interview me personally. Because he remembered me too. So, I didn't fill it out. I got another one. I didn't fill that out. I got another one. I didn't fill that out. (laughs) Because an official from the government told me not to fill it out. So, I'm just doing what I'm told. I, I recently found out just in the last day or so that I have a neighbor who has an actual ranch, you know, with lots of livestock and everything. They throw them in the garbage every time. You know? <laughs> of course, they live farther out than me. So, I don't know. Am I required to fill it out? You know, that I, this is the way human senses. You know, your human senses are with the agricultural department too. You know, under the Department of Interior. So, it's... You know, because you're livestock too, you know. You're, you're human resources, right? That's why you have a resource department. And of course, all the Israelites are human resources in Egypt. And, be, and, and they belonged, at least 20% of their labor belonged to the government. And of course, you can't separate that out until you do the labor. I mean, it's because... You would die if I took 20%. It's kind of like the Merchant of Venice. That you have a right to a pound of flesh. That because of the, the stupid deal that a guy made. And so eventually the court, you have to go watch the play or read it. Or everything, Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice. But it ended up that, yeah, you could take your pound of flesh. But if you took... One gram more than a pound. (laughs) You can be penalized and have to pay a pound of flesh yourself. And so the guy ended up realizing I can't take the pound of flesh because there's no way I can guarantee that I take only what is owed me. (laughs) Of course, that's Shakespeare for you. Funny guy. But, uh, so anyway... Back to turtle doves. So you got got these offerings of turtle doves that you have to make. And, you know, and of a woman, after she has her, her monthly friend, as they call it, uh, and she's childbearing age, obviously, because she's psychoing, and she doesn't have a child. Uh, in order to clean herself, she has to give a dove, sacrifice a dove. So, like, every woman in the country uh, who has to make herself acceptable again has to go out and kill a poor turtle dove? Boy, that is a bizarre God you have. Except, it's my contention, no turtle dove has to die. <laughs> that it, it's, it's not about killing doves. Now, I will admit the Pharisees thought it was, and there was a good market in selling doves, you know, pigeons, doves, 
there's actually, you know, a separate word for young pigeon than there is for turtle dove. The turtle dove word is, you know, uh, it's it's tov, bav, resh is, is turtle dove. But a young pigeon is not tov, bav, resh. A young pigeon is, I think it's gimel, vav, uh, is it ayan? Uh, maybe you can look that up. Lamad. Uh, so, what does that mean? And it's not always written that way. There's a shortened form where it's Gimel, Zayn, Lamad. And there's no Bob in it. But it's actually a nestling young bird. It doesn't necessarily mean a young pigeon. It could be a young turtle dove, right? It could be. You can look at, at, at There is a word that is Gimel, Vav, Zayn. Zayn. But, uh, the point is, you can you can look them up, and I'll create a page, and I'll put all of this stuff on a page, so it'll be easily referenced, uh, hopefully, uh, as I get to it. But that word it can mean cut off. It doesn't have to mean a young pigeon. It can be cut off. So something, maybe they don't want you to kill a pigeon. They want you to cut something off. And... Uh, you know, so what? what is really, what are they really saying? Everything is symbolic. Now, I'm not saying that the word doesn't also mean young pigeon. I'm saying that God really doesn't care about the young pigeons that you you, you deal with. But even the, the, the name Gozen, which is a gimel, Zan, uh, Bob Noon, I think it is. Yeah, I pretty sure that's what it is. It's a... Uh, it means to cut off as well. So, the same word that means young pigeon means to cut off. So, are you supposed to cut something off when it says a turtle dove and a young pigeon? Are they actually saying you're supposed to cut off a turtle dove? Or you have to go get a young pigeon and a turtle dove. You know, what, which is it? <laughs> so, or is it actually refer? You know, that, that's one thing in the Greek. When you look at the Greek, it, it talks about them that sold doves there. And, and it could mean that. Except for the fact that if you look at the word for episteria, which means on the left side, it doesn't mean sold doves. It means sat on the left side. And they were talking about the location of where people were sitting. And, and just as, you know, one of the uh, martyrs who was stabbed in the chest and the translation of the account is that a, a dove flew out of his chest. And it, it could be that you saw a light come out of his dev chest and and floated up like a dove because we saw a light coming down from heaven fluttering over Jesus like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It was a light, but it flickered, you know, like a flickering candle flame or something and, and descended upon Jesus. And, of course, we see the, the same light descending on the apostle or a similar account of a light ascending on the apostles and the 120 in the upper room. 
which would be at least the 70 and the 12 and, and some other guys in the upper room. Because they had the Holy Spirit descend upon them. And, and you see these tongues of fire, which would be a flickering light again. And so that may be a phenomenon. I've heard of people who have actually seen that with certain people, or claim to have. You know, I, I don't know if it's true. But I, I don't think I'd be surprised if I saw it sometime or another. I have seen some things that were rather bizarre. <laughs> but even if, if I could prove that I've seen those things, I don't want you to believe based on what I say, because I could be a liar. So I don't even tell you. <laughs> so, but I do see when they're talking about and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. I'm wondering... You had to have a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And of course, if we go into the explanation of this, they're talking about the fowls, and that seems to be in the plural. But, uh, you know, what, what are they really talking about? If we, if we were to look at the words that are translated into turtle dove, you know, that's a, that's a particular, uh, Word again, like I said, it's uh, tov, uh, vav, resh, which could be tor, could mean turtle dove. And, and it's from another word that is tov, vav, resh, which is tower. They say it a little bit different, tower. But it, it actually means according to the estate. It's defined as a circlet, a plate, a turd of hair or gold, a custom, a manner, a mode. But it's actually translated according to the estate, like a piece of your estate. So, when they're saying you're supposed to sacrifice a turtle dove, do we have to go out and get a turtle dove and kill it? And then God's happy? Or are we just supposed to sacrifice something that belongs to us? You know, maybe it's a circlet, maybe it's a little plate of something, maybe it's a piece of gold. It's something of value that belongs to us, a piece of our estate, according to the estate. So, what is that? Is that what we're supposed to sacrifice, or do we have to kill the bird? You know, it, there's another word that's given another strong number. It's a noun. And it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the word that they say from, that is from the word that means a piece of your estate, which is 8447. Same as 8447. Yeah, well, 8448 means a piece of your estate. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking it up here real quick. And 8447, because they're all spelled the same, so I can't distinguish them. You know, I could kind of slightly change the pronunciation. But they're actually spelled exactly the same. So, it's hard to tell them apart. But one means according to the estate. Another one means uh, to turn a row of something, a border of something. That's the way it's translated. But again, it's a circle, a plate, a turn, a hair, a gold, 
a succession and order. Well, the other definition said a custom, a manner, a mode. But all these, spelled all the same, supposed to also mean a turtle dove. When they're talking about a sacrifice, it's supposed to be a turtle dove. Now, there's another word, a verb, 8446, in, in the Hebrew. And it's spelled tov, uh, vav, resh. Same way. Spelled the same way. Now, we can, and I'll probably do it when I create the page, we can get into the different uh, extra letters that you find with some of these words, but sometimes they don't even add extra letters. It just means something that much different. But as a verb, it can mean to search or to search out or to spy out or to seek something. But it's defined to seek, to search out, to spy out or to explore as the main definition. The secondary definitions has to do with merchants, traders, uh, to make a search, to make re, uh, reconnaissance. So, it can mean that too. Same letters. can mean that too. But I'm not done. <laughs> there, there's another word, also a noun, but it's Aramaic. But it's spelled the same. Tov, Bav, Fresh. And uh, it's actually translated oxen. Bullock three times. It means a bull, a young bull, or an ox for sacrifice. Something for sacrifice is what it really means. Tor is something from sacrifice. And evidently, it's not a pigeon, in my opinion. And, and I, I will have to research it more to prove it to you. But it's a piece of something that belongs to you. That you intend for sacrifice. And so why would a woman who had her period and was now wanting to make herself presentable to everybody else so that now they could touch her because you're not supposed to touch her during that period and all this kind of stuff, which is an interpretation of the actual text. But because she's gone through this, she has to sacrifice something of value to her. Why is that? And I, I've talked about this at least once before on the radio, so it's in one of the other recordings. But we may go into more depth in another place. But why would she have to sacrifice something? And, and what what is it they're talking about in Genesis 15.9? Or in Leviticus? Uh, because the, we see the same thing. And if a burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. Now, that word young pigeons is a different word. It isn't the same word that we saw before. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even have a gimel in it. And gimel is the cause and effect letter. So it doesn't have that letter in it. It doesn't have the... It's Gimel, Vav, and Yod. Yeah, Gimel, Vav, Zayan, Nun. Uh, for the name goes in, which means to cut off. Or cutting something off. And again, that's what you're doing. is You're cutting off something from your estate. Some part of your estate. Some part of your personal possessions. And you're sacrificing it. Now, if it was a gold platelet or a ring... Or 
just a, a thread. They had gold threads around because they had to have gold threads in order to, you know, weave the garments of the priests, the treachery of the priests. Because, <laughs> you know, there's different words for garments and the same word for the garments of the priests is also translated treachery. Of course, it, it doesn't, I think it means, the reason it's translated treachery is there is a, a danger of treachery amongst the priests. They could take bribes. And we have things like the wave offering that has to be done in public so that we know they're not taking bribes. Now, if I say that to your average Jewish scholar, they will say, like, what are you talking about? It's not what I know to be true. Yeah, but what you know to be true is false religion. Well, I, I, I'm a believer in Moses and, and, and Yahweh. I, I, that's not false religion. Well, then why are you back in the bondage of Egypt? I'm not in the bondage of Egypt. Well, then you mean all your labor belongs to you. If you work and make $100,000 this year, you get to keep $100,000, right? Well, no, I have to pay taxes. Oh, your tally of bricks? You have to pay to the federal government? Wasn't well, the federal government your pharaoh? Aren't you back in the bondage of Egypt? Oh, no, he's not going to like me. <laughs> he's going to get really upset at me. Because I just said, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. How'd you get there? You probably haven't been keeping the Sabbath. That's probably it. No, I keep every Sabbath. I always take my Sabbath off. Then you're not in debt anywhere, right? Well, no, I have debt. <laughs> yeah, you, you not only have debt, you, your children have debt. Every child you give birth to has debt. If someone was saying it's $500,000, I don't know how he's calculating that. That was a U.S. congressman who was saying that. So I, I assume he knows. And I know there's different ways to calculate it. Because the debt is just phenomenal. And uh, and most people are absolutely... Now, you know, there are people who are absolutely, absolutely, totally blind out there. And they're running the country. <laughs> and they're running the economy. And they're writing articles and making... But they're absolutely, totally blind. And they will lead you all into a ditch of bondage. Well, wait a minute. You're already in a ditch of bondage. They will lead you over a cliff. Then there are those who are mostly blind. <laughs> and they're not completely blind. They're mostly blind. They know that, oh, it's not right to kill people. It's not right to murder people. It's not right to lie. It's not right to take a bribe. They know those basic things. That, but they still think it's okay to covet their neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority one over the other. And they will call themselves Christians, even though Christ said it was not to be that way with you. We've gone over that. And that should just be fundamental. And everybody who hears me say that and knows where I'm quoting the Gospels that warn you against doing that because Christ said not to do that, not to be that way. And of course, any any small child would know that desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor is covetous. I mean, it's not covetous to want a car like your neighbor's. But it is covetous to want your neighbor's car. You say, well, I don't want my neighbor's car. 
But you want the money he would have spent on buying a car. <laughs> See, if you make $200,000 a year, you're probably going to pay $50,000 in taxes. Somewhere. You're going to pay at least $50,000 in taxes. A lot of it will be income tax. Some of it will be social security tax. Some of it will be property tax. Some of it will be sales tax. But those are all taxes. Gasoline tax. They're all taxes. And so you're probably going to pay $50,000 in taxes. Well, you could have bought a car with that $50,000. But you don't got it. Because your neighbor wanted free stuff. They wanted free education for their kids. They wanted a, you know, fire department. They wanted a police department. They didn't want to have to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They wanted to hire other guys to do it. Now, Anybody listening to me for the first time is going to be thinking like, what is he talking about destroying the entire set? I'm not talking about destroying anything. Uh, I'm telling you the ways of corruption will destroy themselves. They're suicidal in nature. They're self-destructive in nature. And they will bring in tyranny before they destroy themselves. And, And I can show you a lot of people, way smarter than me, have said this for thousands of years. What I'm saying is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, uh, yeah, I kind of wonder, you know, I know some people that are pretty Jewish Orthodox. And so, and, and, and they were following the food laws. And, of course, we have already done at least one show on mixing milk and meat. We see these these words in the Aramaic and in the Hebrew and the same letters and they have all these different meanings and they actually mean that you're not supposed to be sac- killing poor turtle doves or young pigeons but you're actually supposed to be sacrificing something and, and we didn't get to it I said I've talked about it before the reason why is that we are commanded to be fruitful and multiply we are commanded to Produce the next generation. It's it's not just because we naturally, a lot of people naturally want to be a mother and a father and have a family and all this kind of stuff. Some people, you know, I know I know of women who did not want to have any children. They they couldn't imagine themselves a mother and taking care of kids. They just couldn't even imagine themselves doing that until they had a kid. <laughs> And then they became the mother of mothers. They they got it because it changes you. It, it's it's part of you know young girls having trouble with coming into puberty, uh, and that's where they get a lot of the transgenders. They prey upon those young girls and even young men. And then eventually, you know, as they progress, I mean, it's a strange thing being a young woman or a young man, and. and both of them have difficulties and complexities to them. And, and it's a change. And sometimes that change is harder for some than for others. And, and they need help doing it sometimes. And of course, if you were doing what Christ said and what Moses said, there'd be all kinds of help around. But the reality is, is that uh, when they start having children, you know, they talk about the definition of a woman. Now, you know, I'm a bit of a historian, so I go back, you know, like, they used to talk about girls, and they used to talk about women. 
Well, what was the difference between a woman and a girl? A woman was somebody who had children. She was already married and had children. And sometimes a woman was someone who was just married and we assume that they're going to be having children. But that's what made them a woman is they were now on that road to having children. That's why they got married. But if you were just a young girl, you weren't a woman. And I always remember a line from one of my favorite movies, I Know Where I'm Going, which was about a woman who didn't know where she was going. (laughs) But... uh, in it, there's a Scotsman, a famous character actor, and, and she was trying to talk him into stuff and uh, doing stuff that was dangerous, and he knew better. And uh, he said, she's so foolish, she's already a woman. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought, boy, that's a chauvinist statement. But uh, see the movie. I know where I'm going. Wendy Hiller version. Only the Wendy Hiller version. <laughs> Uh, but uh, great upbeat movie great movie Uh, great story it was a story before it was a movie but the the actors did it justice so anyway this idea she is supposed to be having children and now she didn't have a child she didn't become pregnant she so she Theoretically, she's neglecting her duty to all of society. She She's not becoming fruitful and multiplying the flock, the herd, the humanity. And so, to remind her of that duty, she should give up a piece of her estate, even if it's just a little platelet, even if it's just a little thread of something of value. She gives it up. Now, who does she give it up to? Oh, it's a burnt offering. So we have to set it on fire. Except we covered that. It's not a... You don't set burnt offerings on fire. That's not the... That's another misnomer created by false religion. And I'm not... I'm not singling out Jewish religion for doing this or rabbis for doing it, but that's that's not what it's about. So, like I said, that there was a, another word uh, you know, the first word that we gave that means young pigeon, it's spelled a couple of different ways. And it means a nestling young bird, supposedly. But if we go through the letters and look at what else has those same letters, we may come up with a, a different conclusion. And, of course, that's what I was looking at. Uh, that it also means spoil or take away or rob or pluck or caught it's trans- or force or pluck, or seize, or plunder, or tear away. So, that young pigeon, again, going back to the word that means cut, but it actually, it's actually from a word that means all those things. But, when we look in Leviticus, we see a turtle dove, or a young pigeon, and it's a different word. It's spelled Yod, Vav, Nun, Hey. And they say it means a dove or a pigeon. But what does it actually mean? Does it mean a dove or a pigeon or does it mean something else? It's supposedly from a word that means wine. It's from the word wine or vine. 
a word that's also translated vine. It's translated wine most often. But it's also translated vine. It's also translated banqueting. So it's from that. But although that word is spelled with a double yod. It's it's not the only word for wine. But it's spelled with a double yod and a nun. And remember what I said about double yod. So... I don't know, I may be getting too confusing for everybody, but the fact is, is words don't necessarily mean what you think they mean. <laughs> and if if Moses was really setting up a social welfare scheme to take care of the needy of the world through faith, hope, and charity, then I don't think killing birds, poor turtle doves, is really the solution. Now, just to take you one other, not going all the way down this, like I said, I'll have to prepare a whole page because it goes in so many different directions. So, it, it the word that they translate into dove or pigeon, 21 times is translated dove, 10 times is translated pigeon. But the same exact word that is is translated that way is also the name Yonah, uh, which is translated dove, or Jonah, what what we would say is Jonah. And uh, what else does it? What else is it like? What what other words is it like? It is similar to a word sucker or suckling or sapling or young plant. And it has similarities to other words as well. Now, you remember, now we've shown this many times that we'll take a, a base word, a root word that has three letters, and it may appear with those three letters a hundred times. And then occasionally they add a letter. And sometimes they add a letter and take away a letter. And sometimes they add two letters to the same word. Now, sometimes adding those letters has to do with the syntax in the sentence. But not always. And not always. Why do they pick different letters to perform the same syntax operation? There's very complicated rules about syntax and what letters change the syntax of a word, etc. But the reason they're so complex is they have to figure out some way of keeping you thinking you don't have to give up a piece of your estate. You have to kill a turtle dog. <laughs> and of course you don't have to kill a turtle dove. So the doves are safe in the kingdom of God. It doesn't have anything to do with killing turtle doves. The same as meat offerings. I mean, like the phrase meat offering appears 122 times in the text. Miriam Webster says that a meat offering was a sacrifice of food. It wasn't necessarily meat. It could be grain. We've gone over this many times. Many translations also translate uh, this Hebrew word Mincha, Mem Nun Chet Hey, Mincha. In Leviticus, we see we see meat offering shall be of fine flour. So if it's if the meat offering is of a flour, then it's really a grain offering. And if you go to many other books other than the King James, meat offering is translated grain offering. And of course. We know that the temple granaries in Egypt were connected. Many of them were connected to the temple. 
the the Pharaoh had temple granaries as well because he would use those to feed his armies, to take care of his bureaucrats, etc. But the Sumer had temple granaries as well. Egypt had temple granaries, like I said, that were operated by the priests. And Rome had temple granaries as well. And Rome had a whole system of free bread. But we know from Proverbs that if you sit and eat with a ruler of their temple granaries, put a knife to your throat because those are deceitful meats. We also know because of Proverbs that they are a snare. We know because of Psalms that what should have been for your welfare is a snare. And we know from the history of Israel that we just read in Genesis that they went into bondage because they didn't have enough grain to get them through the famine. And so they had to go to the government for the grain. Uh, Clarkson Farms, this is a kind of halfway comedy, halfway documentary on farming in England. He, he worked all year. He, he put in hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or pounds into his operation, got all kinds of help, and had some successes. Bad year for farming because it was a terrible drought. But he uh, made 145 pounds after all that work, day and night, farming and farming and farming, all the people helping him. After all his expenses, he made 145 pounds or something like that. And he says, and the only reason he made that is because the subsidies from the government. And they were telling you next year, we don't know if you'll get any subsidies. So what does the farmer do? You can't farm competitively in England without government subsidies. That's what they're going to do to you in America. When I first went into raising sheep out here on the desert, I mean, we had a handful of sheep. But... I, I produce a wool-type sheep, and we sheared the wool, and we could sell the wool. And we weren't getting a lot for it. But I was told that the government would double the amount that I get for the wool if I just fill out these papers here and give it to the government. And they will give me a check equal to that of what I already got from selling the wool. Almost equals, like 90% of it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do that and take that money because I could see there was something wrong and donate all that money to trying to figure out what was wrong in America because something was definitely wrong. I could sense that. This is early on, way back. My kids were little bitty kids. And he gave me the paper. And he put my name on it and all this stuff, but I had to fill it out, put in the amounts, and sign it. And when I put the pen in my hand, my hand wouldn't work. (laughs) I couldn't feel my hand anymore. That's only happened to me a couple of times. But something took all the feeling out of my hand. I could not, I couldn't fill out anything. I couldn't even feel my hand. I could set it down next to me and I could not feel. It was like my hand was dead and gone. And of course, I'm not going to explain it to the guy at the courthouse. And I says, well, I'll take this home, fill it out at home and bring it back if I... Once I get that done, of course, I never did it. I never took a government subsidy. Even though I, I had no intention of keeping it, I had intention of donating it to help out people that were being abused in the courts and, and, and doing what I thought was injustice. Well, it took me 
a little while to figure out what all that was. But then I wrote the book Covenants of the God. So all this happened within a couple of months. And because I know what's wrong. And now I've gone back to the Bible out there on the desert following my handful of sheep, reading the Bible. God showed me, go read this, go read that, go read this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I wrote Thy Kingdom Come. And I realized, of course I had already written Covenants of the Gods, but I realized that people don't know what it says. They don't know what it says in the biblical text. They think a meat offering has to be burned up on an altar of dead stone. No, it has to be turned over to an altar of living stones. To take care of the needy of society. And see, like I was saying, if you go to our page on burnt offerings, Sumer had granaries. Egypt had granaries. Rome had granaries. We used to have granaries in the United States. On every farm, there used to be granaries. Just dozens of them. On my uncle's farm, on my great uncle's farm. Dozens and dozens of granaries. Uh, And they were full of grain. But it all belonged to the federal government. Federal government would buy the grain from the farmer when there was a surplus year and sell it back when there wasn't a good year, when the crop was poor. And that helped the farmer stay in business, but it also created a reserve of grain for all the citizens of America. Just like the pharaoh created a reserve of grain for all the citizens of Egypt, but also for foreigners. But the citizens of Egypt owned all their labor when he was doing this. But, you know, it's a tropical climate. They would grow most of their food. But after the famine, even the Egyptians now owed 20% of their labor to the pharaoh. He now had a regular income of 20% of whatever you produced had to go to the pharaoh. And if if you produced grain, it would go into the temple granaries. If if you produce other commodities, they would be stored as well. But grain stored really well in that dry tropical climate. So that was grain was like money. But the United States doesn't have that program anymore. The, that grain isn't there, and you're about to go into one of the greatest famines in the history of the world. And I don't care how many bags of beans that you stock up on, it won't be enough. Because like I was saying this morning, that you need the Holy Spirit to know where to put your beans, where, what, what to get, what not to get, what to do, what not to do. And there is no salvation without the Holy Spirit. And there is no Holy Spirit unless you repent. So, Sober and Ishtar did the same thing. has been described as the theocratic socialism. Other people have described it as theocratic socialism. All socialism is theocratic, by the way. Because all socialism has ruling judges, and that's what God means. Somebody's in charge in all socialism. Well, the people. Well, no, the people elect somebody, and somebody decides what to happen. But even if, if you actually were to create an absolute, total, direct democracy in your socialist state... Somebody else is deciding for somebody. Because if you had a free society, what you produced would be 100% yours. Now, 
You still need to take care of the needy. The rich man needs to take care of the needy more than anybody else. Because the rich man is going to have to depend upon the common man for protection to protect his wealth. I mean, he can hire a lot of guards. But ultimately, he's going to need an army of people that will show up at a moment's notice to protect him. Because they love him. And they love him because he is so generous with his extra wealth. And he is so kind to his employees. Like Mr. Knightley. If you don't know who Mr. Knightley is, you'll have to go uh, see some of Jane Austen's uh, books and, and read them or see some of the shows. But everybody loved him because he was such a good master to all the people who worked on his farm. He he wanted to see them succeed. He, he would go the extra mile for them and they would go the extra mile for him. I know lots of employees. I I, I know one business... If you ask for something extra or you ask for accommodations, they won't give it to you. And if you're a really good worker, they will work you to death until you want to quit. And and they can't figure out why they can't keep help. They pay pretty good, but not as good as all the other. It's a mill. And, and they don't get it. They don't know how to treat employees. And no matter who gets into management, it's always the same kind of guy. I know another business in the same town that when an employee says, I, I'm, I'm thinking about quitting. Oh, we don't want you to quit. He says, well, I can't come down here and work every day. If, you, if I had three 10-hour days, that would be all. And before he finished his statement, the guy says, you got it. Because he knew, I don't want to lose this guy. He's a good worker. He knows his stuff. If I can only get him for three days, I will take it. If that keeps them happy, I will do it to keep them happy. Because I need good workers. Because this that particular business has been plagued with bad workers for a long time. <laughs> and so this guy knows good workers and he knows how to treat them. I know another business in the Midwest that, you know, they hired people, a lot of high school, college students and stuff like that, part-time employees. They get somebody in there who really is a go-getter, knows what they're doing, knows how to take care of the job. The only one who can actually handle everything by themselves, know every aspect of the job. But they said they they originally took the job only to work so many hours a week and they wanted to spend more time with their kids. And so they said, I'd like to have every other weekend off. I said, no, we won't do that. Uh, no, you have, to, you have to work. You're the only one we have that can do all these jobs and all this stuff. So you have to come in and work on all the, all the time. He says, well, if I don't get every other weekend off, I'm going to take every weekend off. And they quit. And, and the business didn't say, oh, no, no, don't quit. We'll give you every other weekend. <laughs> Anything to keep you. And we'll just try to help us train in somebody new to, that can do it. And, you know, they didn't even negotiate. They just let them go. And then they, they can't figure out why why they can't manage the business, why they're having so much trouble. Because they don't... The business is the employees. It's They're the ones that are going to serve your customers. They don't get that. Well, in the kingdom of God, if you're a wealthy man, you don't have tax-supported police to answer the call 
when you're robbed. You know, somebody breaks in and they want to kill you with a hammer. <laughs> that could happen. It could happen. That's what happened to Pelosi, supposedly. And you, but you can call nine one one, and the cops will show up. But in the kingdom of God, your neighbor shows up. So why is your neighbor showing up? Because they like you. They like you because you're generous. You're kind. You're benevolent. You're not a stuck-up rich guy. Uh, Passover, you invite as many people to your house as you can get in there. And you, and you buy the lamb. And, and you provide the meal. And you're checking on everybody to make sure they're okay. And everybody will be checking on you if you call a hue and cry. See, that's in a republic, that's how you survive. The hue and cry. It's not the hired marshal that's going to save you. It's all the citizens who are going to back them. That's, that's what's going to save you. In order to do that, you have to have a system based on charity. All the way down to the very basic things. Fire, police, courts. Everything has to be voluntary. As soon as you start taking away choices, if you do it with public school, most of the public schools were supported by free will offerings. They slowly got away with, from that. The public school, the private schools in Sweden, they were only supported by the people paying tuition. And some people would pay more, who could afford more. Some people would pay a little bit less. That's the way it was in Harvard, Princeton. That's the way they did it. But then it started moving more, well, we could just tax everybody in the community. We could just make everybody pay their fair share. We can make them pay their fair share. Of course, that's coveting your neighbor's goods. But we're only going to cover the rich guy's goods. It's still coveting your neighbor's goods. Instead of doing it through faith, hope, and charity. Well, you... You're slitting your throat. You're killing your society. You're going to usher in tyranny. I don't know how many times we could say it. So we see, Abraham could have been the leader of Haran. He could be the head of the city. He left that. He left many times, but finally he left with a large number of souls. And he did something different. He left the city-state that was like Sumer, like Egypt, like Rome, like Ur. But, of course, that's, you know, this is one thing Jordan Peterson said. Everybody thinks, that, oh, if, if I was in charge of socialism, it would be different. <laughs> that wasn't real communism. That wasn't real socialism. No, it's real socialism. And socialism always ushers in. Once the people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they will institute the rule of force and violence and they need violent men, men willing to exercise that force to run the system. Because you don't have time for it. You didn't have time to take care of one another to faith, hope, and charity. You're not going to have time to force everybody to contribute. So you're going to hire 85,000 more IRS agents to do it. Or Gabi or Molokai, Jewish agents of the imperial crown of 
Judea to enforce those. Just like Cain, just like Nimrod, just like Pharaoh, just like Caesar. Because that, you know, just like, you know, I mean, I thought it was always funny. Most people don't remember this. But FDR, when he started these new institutions to handle this new social welfare system that he was creating to supposedly shorten the Depression, but it actually lengthened it, many books will verify that today. The heads of these new departments, were their title was dictator. That's actually the word that he used <laughs> to... Yeah, he was appointing the, the head of this program and the head of that program. They were called dictators. <laughs> yeah, no bones about it. Eventually, they kind of got away from that because somebody evidently looked up the word and dictator. Well, I think Mussolini did a lot to make the word dictator because he was the supreme dictator. So, we didn't want to use dictator. That became taboo. We're not going to use dictator. But FDR was a socialist. The guy who started the Federal Reserve was a socialist. Those are bankers, but they wanted socialism. They didn't like capitalism. Because banks get richer in socialism and, until the communists take over. <laughs> but that's another story. But all socialism is theocratic because all of them have ruling judges who decide what you get to keep and what you don't get. They all... The kingdom of God redistributes wealth. And the theocratic socialist state of Sumer and Egypt and Rome and Ishtar and Ur, they redistribute wealth. Even even the uh, sheik that befriended Lawrence of Arabia, he would, you know, he would pillage and rob and all the stuff, you know, their enemies. And then all the wealth that he brought in, he would redistribute amongst all the people of his community. I mean, Augustus Caesar supposedly lived in a little hut up there on the hill. You would see him coming out of the hut. I don't know if there was a little tunnel that came into the hut for more lavish quarters or not. But he would be up there and you would see them up at the hut. You'd have to go up and visit him at the little hut up there. Because he was showing that he was so humble. He's one of the richest men in in Rome, but even Julius Caesar, all the extra money he was making, selling Gauls into slavery, you know, to North Africa and other places, all all of those slaves that he sold, all those women, all those children, all the money he made from that, which was a vast sum, he paid his army well, and then the extra he bestowed upon the people through free bread and circuses. And won the hearts of the people. And he was the son of God. He was called the son of God because of this. But such systems are so corrupt they conquer the people. Like Balaam and Nicolaitans. The era of Balaam is the era of the Nicolaitans. They both mean conquer people. How do they get conquered? By gifts, gratuities, and benefits. It's the greatest destroyers of liberty. You know, I, I know I'm repeating myself over and over again, but, you know, this is the way it was. I mean, the welfare in Egypt. Egypt had its temple granaries, like I said, and which had been filled during the, the seven good years. But the, those temple granaries is a part of the private religion of Pharaoh. 
and, and the idea of priests, they were just the ones who were the managers, the bureaucratic managers of these temples uh, filled with grain. And so that when people needed the grain, they would have to go to those priests. And when he said, well, yeah, we will feed you, but if you don't have money, you know, they already got all everybody's gold, everybody's silver, and everybody. So now he says, we don't have any more money, we're still hungry. He says, well, promise to work for me, give me 20% of your labor forever, and I will feed you. I will take care of you. They sold themselves into bondage. They sold themselves into a social safety net that was created by the Pharaoh so they could access to the granaries. But where's your granaries? You know, your government right now in Australia, in New Zealand, in England, in France, they're killing you. They're destroying you. They're setting you up for absolute destruction. Yeah, actually, if you go to our uh, meat offering page, there's a subsection, Tables of Rome. And we talk about their granaries. We talk about Julius Caesar. We talk about his title as Son of God. It was a title. It's called the Son of God. Caesar Augustus more so than Julius, because Julius never became the actual emperor of Rome. He was a commander-in-chief, but only of his own army. Uh, Augustus Caesar was commander-in-chief of all the army and the navy. Uh, And which is, you know, like I say, the beast at that time, in the writing of the Bible, was Rome. Because the head of Rome was in charge of the army and the navy. But in the last days, the difference between the beast and the image of the beast, which is like Rome, The difference is the image of the beast can make fire come down from heaven in the sight of man. Because it's in charge of the army and the navy and the air force. (laughs) Of course, the navy has an air force too. And and now we have, uh, you know, space force. And heck, you know, if if you could go up to space with like a titanium rod weighing 300, 400 pounds, you can drop that rod from space. And by the time it hit the ground, it can blow a mighty big hole and not have any gunpowder or any explosives with it. <laughs> so, And it might be glowing fire when it came down. But God can make fire come down from heaven in the sight of man as well <laughs> in lots of different ways. So anyway, I have a section there that tables of Rome and, and, I, and I have links back to Julius Caesar so you can read more about him. But it points out that he was the high priest of the temple of Jupiter, Flamen Dialis, and before he became a general to Gaul. And then of course, a great deal of the money that he brought back selling all these poor Gauls into slavery went to the the people that took his place at the Temple of Jupiter. He knew them all. He knew all the people that were, the bureaucrats that were still there managing that temple. And he says, well, I'm going to give you the money. You buy the grain from Egypt. You give it out to the people. And then 
he knew he would become more and more popular. He was doing that even before he became a general. He was taking every bit of funds that he could get his hands on and boosting. He was doing a real good job at running the social welfare system of Rome through the Temple of Jupiter. He was doing a really good job of that. To the point of actually going into debt himself. When he first was going to march out of Rome as a general, they wouldn't let him go because he owed so much money and somebody else had to put up money to pay that debt so that he could go. And the guy was clever. He knew how the, knew how it worked. And there's a lot of clever men in your government. But the problem is your government is a hierarchy of authority. It's, it, it was never intended to be a democracy. It was intended to be a republic, but it's turned into a democracy within the republic. None of you are citizens of the republic anymore. Almost all of you are citizens of the democracy. And you're also collateral for the debt of the democracy. That's what you got along. Because the United States didn't put up seven years of grain paid for to give you during the Depression. They didn't do that. They were in debt when they went into the Depression. They were in debt during the Depression and they were in debt when they came out of the Depression. And when you signed up for benefits from a corporation that was in debt, you became a surety for the debt of the corporation, which is why they created the Social Security system. And and we've got books, reams, Hundreds of audios that explain this bit by bit. But the the revolution of John would change all this. You know, the Corbin was the sacrifice that was... But the Corbin of the Pharisees and the Corbin of Herod and the Corbin of Rome, because they used the same word, Corbin, to describe how they provided for the needy of their society. They were, at one time free will offerings, but now they were going to be forced offerings. First from the Gauls and then from the Teutons and then from the Jews that they also sold into slavery during the destruction of Jerusalem. They had done this a similar thing with Corinth even before when they conquered Corinth, they raised the city to the ground. They leveled it to the ground. And they took every bit of gold and every bit of silver and everything of value and then they just disassembled the buildings and there was no buildings there. Now, uh, Caesar would later refinance a new Corinth so that we would have, so that Paul would have some place to go. Because <laughs> it was very strategically located. And we've talked about that before. But John the Baptist opposed Herod's scheme and Pharisee's scheme and their Corbin scheme. And he said, if you have two coats, and your neighbor has none, do it through charity. So he set up a welfare system through charity. And you become a member through baptism. Of course, you can become a member of Herod's through baptism. But John the Baptist had a different set of priests. And he got away with it because John the Baptist was the rightful high priest. and was very popular. But he was bucking the social welfare system set up by Herod, Herod the Great, and by the Pharisees. And they wanted to do away with them. And then Jesus comes along and magnifies that with the 70 who had the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But they only had the power of the Holy Spirit so that you would have the power of the Holy Spirit. So that you would see that there is a power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to believe by signs and wonders. I want you to believe because it's written in your heart. Because that's where the Holy Spirit has to be. So, Jesus would confirm John's approach of telling that everyone needs to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which has never included covetous practices and always included free will offerings and charity. Because covetous practices are idolatry. And, and we know that because Paul tells us that. We know that because Moses tells us that. That we don't want to make a covenant with their gods where you go because you may sacrifice to them and then when there's an incident you will go to them and eat of that sacrifice but that sacrifice is compelled offerings not free will offerings so therefore they are sin because they involve covetous practices. So like this morning I read Colossians 3.5 Ephesians 5.5 and 1 Corinthians 5.10 they, those who are covetous are idolaters. Those who desire the benefits at the expense of their neighbor through men that exercise authority are idolaters. That makes almost every Christian church in the world today idolaters. It's not real Christianity. It's consenting Christianity. I talked about that briefly this morning, too. And, of course, we have a page on that, recordings on that. But Constantine called all Christian bishops that we know were at least 1,200 Christian bishops, probably twice that from my calculations. But just go with the scholars who say there were at least 1,200 such bishops 319 show up. 319 guys show up. They may not have all even been bishops. They could have been part of the, you know, the sons of a bishop who were ministers and went along with their dad to see what was going on. But it's not a quorum. And the next time they had a meeting, 150 show up. Yet they had twice as many Christians. But that twice as many Christians were the fake Christians, the false Christians, the Christians that were following the Church of Constantine and electing bishops. Not like Jesus said through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. All the people of Milan are going to elect one bishop. All the new Christians who did not repent and get baptized, they got baptized. But they weren't required to repent by Constantine. So what were they, since repenting is thinking different, what were they thinking different? What they weren't thinking differently was I still thought it was okay to take from men who exercise authority one over the other in order to provide social welfare for the needy of your society. See, Rome, because of the expenses of the wars and the rumors of wars and the, and the armies and all this stuff, and the removal of silver from the Roman denarii. We can't forget that. <laughs> because that started back with Anthony and Cleopatra, continued with Nero, and by Diocletian, there wasn't any silver in the Roman silver coin. And of course you had runaway inflation. 
And so the temples couldn't buy the grain to provide for the people. And there was lots of corruption in the temples. And so Constantine said, we've got to do it like the Christians. Because the Christians are doing pretty good. The Christians didn't. They weren't idolaters, so they weren't going to the temples to get the free bread of Rome. They wouldn't do that like modern Christians. You know, if you need food stamps, you need anything free, just go to the man who exercises authority. They'll give you food stamps. They'll give you EBT cards. They'll give you welfare. They'll give you all those things. To most people, if you're having trouble getting those things, Go to Mexico, come across the border illegally, learn a few words in Spanish, and they'll give you all kinds. <laughs> Probably. I'm not really telling you to do that. That's sarcasm. But that's what Rome was doing. That's not what Christ was doing. That's not what John the Baptist was doing. John the Baptist could say, you know, if your neighbor has two coats, ask him why he hasn't signed up for welfare with Herod and the Pharisees. That, that's not instructions of John the Baptist. That that would end up being the leaven of the Pharisees, which Jesus warned you about. Because they, they had that leaven in Egypt. That cruelty in Egypt where you force somebody else to provide for the needy of your society. with compelled offerings. Legally. But they were still compelled offerings. And of course, when more and more corruption got into the priesthood, and etc., etc., and and they you know they began people were bribed etc. The welfare payments decreased. You know they they had no gold and silver money for the common man in Egypt because all the gold was in you know in the hands of the pharaoh. And so they didn't have gold and silver money. They had something else that was substituting as money, stuff posing as money. You know, like spam. Stuff posing as mail. But it's not real money. But Jesus comes along. Now they still had gold and silver denarius at the time of Jesus. But again, at the time of Jesus, they had already started depleting the amount of gold and silver in the denarii. And... and there's a chelation process that we know that was taking place in the temple of Ephesus, which was kind of like the World Bank. And we know that, like I said, Cleopatra and Mark Anthony were taking at least 10% of the silver out of the Roman silver coin. And then others took out, you know, 30, 40% of that silver and said it was still had a stamp value on it. But it it wasn't just weights and measures. So that's that's one of the things that Moses said that you had to have just weights and measures. And if, if you went to the temple in Sumer, they were in charge of those measures. What was a measure? Ever ever noticed, like, when growing up, uh, Three Musketeers or Snickers Bar or whatever it was, they used to be a certain size and pay a certain amount of money. A nickel, a dime, I don't want to date myself too much. For those things, and I would get one of those if I got to go to the Santa Rosa movie theater for a matinee. I used to hate matinees. I, I'd love to go and see the movies. I mean, old Hopalong Cassidy's and all, all these things. <laughs> you would go and see them. And eventually you got them on TV when they invented TV. So I am dating myself. <laughs> but 
you know, I could go in, I could get into the movie and get popcorn and maybe a candy bar and a soft drink and I hadn't spent 50 cents. <laughs> so, but, uh, what happened is in order to keep the candy bar at the same price, they, they shrunk it up a little bit <laughs> and shrunk it up a little bit more and shrunk it up a little bit more and then now you got Reese's Pieces little tiny, <laughs> which is probably good. Uh, because there's too, way too much sugar in those things. I shouldn't have been eating those things. But that was part of the poisons and toxins that I didn't know better about back in those days. And I'm paying the price for it today. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, God will give me a new body someday. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> if I keep doing His will. And that's the struggle. To know, even to know what His will is. What's His will for you? You know, uh, how, how are you handling your quest for the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And how come nobody else can see this? Very, very few people want to see this. And what can we do to drive them? I mean, you can, I think people should be downloading our podcasts, Keys to the Kingdom with Brother Gregory. Just look for them anywhere. All the time. Just, on a regular basis, just play them in the background, play them in your car, play them. <laughs> yeah, I repeat myself, but nobody else is saying it. There's 10,000 ministers out there not saying the truth. So one minister has to say the truth 10,000 times. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. And yeah, we started out with turtle doves and pigeons, not being turtle doves and pigeons. And of course, yeast is not yeast. It's cruelty and oppression. And religion is not what you think about God. It's how you take care of the needy of your society. We started with those way back. Those are some of the early ones. But this just goes on. Burnt offerings aren't set on fire. Red heifers aren't red cows. Uh, Red heifers is something entirely different. We have articles up that explain it and uh, audios that go along with it. But if you want to be free... If you want to survive freedom, I, I can't set you free. God can set you free. And like I say, everybody's going to get set free when the system collapses. We're all going to be free. Thank God I'm free at last. I'm dying. I'm starving. <laughs> there are enemy armies uh, running around the country, killing and murdering and raping everybody. <laughs> but I'm free. Uh, you know, uh, you know, like the... Uh, the old Cajun joke where the guy comes and shows his government card that he could go anywhere on Isidore's little farm he wants because he's got this government card from the ag department. We started talking about the ag department to begin with. And he could go and, and do a survey anywhere he wants on his farm. And so he, and the guy sit, you know, Isidore sitting on the front porch there says, well, you go right ahead and look around. And so Isidore just kept rocking. There it was a hot part of the day. He didn't want to go anywhere. And he's waiting for the cooler part to go out and do something important, like fishing or something. <laughs> anyway, all of a sudden, Isidore thinks he hears something. He's way off in the distance. And he hears it again. And he gets up from his rocking chair and he goes out to the edge of the porch and he listens. And there it is again. And so he keeps following the noise. And I'll make this long story short because it's really important to make it really long. 
It's funnier when you make it long. Funnier for me when I make it long. But I can't see your face, so it won't be as funny. But he finally gets, he goes around the side of the barn, and there out in the big round corral is his prize bomb bull chasing this guy, this inspector from the government, around the round pin. Now, it's a really high pin so the bull don't jump over. And that Brahma bull is running right behind him, and he's making this circle. And every time he comes around to the edge of the barn, he yells out, Help! And that's what Isidore was seeing, or hearing. And so Isidore goes over to the rail and climbs up on the rail, and when the guy comes around again, he yells out to the guy, you know, this bull's just two steps behind him trying to make it one. And he yells out to the guy, why don't you show him your card? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so there's a little humor for you. So the reality is nobody loves you but God. And the problem is is that you haven't been loving anybody else. You love the people that make you happy, that make you feel good, but you got to love your enemy. you got to care for your enemy. you got to cast your bread upon the waters. Because the people have been full of adultery. They've been going to the wrong church. They've been going to the church of FDR and the church of LBJ and the church of Obama and even the church of Trump because they all want to be taken care of by men who exercise authority one over the other. And they still call themselves Christians because Christ said not to. He said it over and over again. Proverbs said it. David said it. Paul said it. Peter said it. But nobody nobody pays any attention to that. But Jesus was that king that was also called the Son of God. And he prohibited his followers to go to men who exercised authority one over the other. And, you know, that's just the way it is. A, you know, Matthew twenty twenty five. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know the princes of the Gentiles. That means the government of the Gentiles. Who exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so amongst you. Because this is the other king. This is Jesus. Whose followers do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. But not contrary to Christ. A lot of you people do contrary to Christ. Now you may have to do what Caesar says because you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You may have to pay your tally of bricks. But you need to be creating the alternative. Because it's the alternative that will be saved by the Spirit of God. Mark 10.42 But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, Gentiles meaning other nations, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so shall it not be among you. But it is. But my best is, favorite is Luke twenty two twenty five, And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles, that would include presidents, prime ministers, you know, the head of New Zealand, all those guys, Exercise lordship over them, and they really saw it during COVID. You know the the necessary lockdown. Exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. 
but ye shall not be so. But ye are. So, if we go read Acts 17.7, whom Jason hath received in these all do contrary to the the decrees of Caesar. They could do contrary to the decrees of Caesar because to them there was another king, one Jesus. And that king was recognized by Caesar. Still today in the United Nations, they recognize the Catholic Church because they say the Catholic Church was established by Jesus Christ. But actually, I think it was kind of established by Constantine. But Constantine claimed to be the church established by Jesus Christ. You can tell the difference by what they do. Is your church taking care of all the social welfare needs of your people through the practice of pure religion through a daily ministration funded by charity, by faith, by hope? Or are you taking care of one another through men who exercise authority? If you're doing it through men who exercise authority like Constantine, because the Constantine said, okay, you guys are going to have to start contributing. Because we don't have the money. We'll finish that story. We, we put a pin in it, but now we're finishing that story. Constantine said, okay, these are the bishops. He's giving permission to Ambrose to be the first bishop of Milan. And he's making an edict in Milan where everybody has to get baptized Christian. That means you're going to have to start taking care of your social welfare needs not by the government-funded welfare program of legal charity, but you're going to have to take care of it by yourselves. Now, of course, that's not going to go down well, but he says, so I'm going to take all the buildings that we are now using in the government system and I'm going to give it to this organization that I'm creating from my golden throne. I'm going to give them all those buildings, all the property. This is why the Vatican is used to be a pagan temple. All the property, all the resources that had once been allocated for that, it's now going to be yours. And I'm going to jerk, you know, fund it with a lot of silver. I'm keeping the gold because I need the gold to keep running my armies. But I, I will fund it with a lot of silver. And we have the whole list of monies that he's given and properties that he's given. Now, some of those properties didn't just belong to the social welfare system. They belonged to, like, his partner, which he had murdered, and his whole family murdered. And sometimes whole villages, he just killed everybody in the village, uh, or even small cities. He just killed everybody, took all that property and gave it to, you know, he gave sizable portions to the church, and then he let his cronies go in there and move into those homes. Because he killed all the people there. He was doing that even after he was a Christian. He was the beast. And now there was a whore riding the beast. It was this new church established by Constantine. And the ways of that church have still gone down through the ages. And they still don't take care. They do take care of some needy. You know, you need to have those photo ops. But most of the needy that they say they take care of is taken care of by governments. Which at times they have overthrown. <laughs> you know, from behind the scenes and everything. But I don't want to pick on any particular religious group because I'm talking to the individuals. I don't care if you're, you're a Jehovah Witness or you're uh, Amish or if you're a Catholic or you're a Presbyterian 
or you're Jewish and you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a zealot. I don't care any of that. I just want to see you repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To build that network that Christ commanded us to build. To sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. To start taking care of one another through pure religion, through that alternative. If you just started that, started going that way, I, I, I would know that at least your thinking had changed a little bit. So if you started going that way, that would be a good sign. I don't want you to agree with me 100%. But I want you to start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And now after this show, you've got a little bit of an idea what that looks like. So anyway, we went through a little bit of the meat offerings. And we talked a little bit about the pigeons. I, I think I have a page kind of started on that subject, but I didn't find it just before the show. Like I said, I came in six minutes before. I was out in a hailstorm and trying to run a dump truck. And uh, we're having an event here this next weekend, uh, which is a primitive skills event. You can find out about it by gathering at White Rock. And it's out here in Oregon. And uh, there's a RV park next to us, but then there is some parking and camping out there at the site. And there, there's an entry fee, but uh, y- you can take all these courses and, uh, and everything from fire starting, blacksmithing, basket weaving, pottery. Uh, I don't know all the guys. I've never been to one of these deals, but we're going to put one on this next weekend. And like you can go to whiterockgathering.com and and to find out more about it. I haven't even been there since I started. My grandson is putting up the web page, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but we need another dump truck really bad because the dump truck keeps breaking down. <laughs> Spending more time because uh, I want to gravel the roads. But anyway. I think it's raining again. I see the, the border collies are all fleeing to the house. And it's darkening up. We could actually lose power because it looks like another storm is coming. We have had we had almost no rain last year whatsoever. Uh, the sagebrush was dry, dying because it was so dry. This year we're getting rain all the time and we're having mud problems. <laughs> And uh, they may be having flood problems in Paisley and some of the nearby towns. But it's supposed to be good weather next weekend. So if you, and we hope to have more of these events if this one is successful. And uh, this is the first annual White Rock Gathering. And of course we have a fall festival as well. But if you people were sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we would expand the facilities at the church for doing this. But really what you're going to need is that network. And that's that's probably the absolute most important thing for you to do. So some of the other topics that we're going to eventually cover besides uh, the burnt offering topic. And what I'm doing is I'm going through and creating these pages. And I just kind of create the basic you know, meat offering page. And... We talk on that about the temple granaries and the faith of Abraham and the welfare of Egypt. But then we get into what they will not tell you. is 
beware of the gifts and eye full of adultery and warned by the prophets and the apostles and the number of times the the phrase meat uh, offering or it's actually meat or grain offering you don't see grain offering in the King James but you see it in a lot of the others but the point of these offerings through a system of free will uh, altars of clay and stone your your clay and your ministers should be stoned. <laughs> but, so altars of clay and stone has to do with a network of charity. And that network of charity cannot depend upon the internet. It can't depend upon your cell phones. It can't depend upon, you know, a lot of things. But it depends upon the love of God. And God will fill in the gaps. But, yeah, a lot of people say, well, this is impossible. We can never do it. But that, that person lacks faith. But living by faith means that it is possible. And if you if you create that altars of Abel, those altars of Abraham, those altars of righteousness, the, the uh, altars of living stones, you will have a chance of survival. And some of you are old you know, not, none of us are going to survive forever. But it's about the next generation. And if we don't go to such altars, operating by faith, hope, and charity, even if your children survive, they will not survive. Their souls will die. Because this is where it gives life to your soul. This is where you get the sweet incense. The sweet smell of sacrifice is a sacrifice of peace, which is another one of those offerings that they talk about as peace offerings. We talked a little bit this morning about motive offerings. Uh, and we mentioned drink offerings, but I'm going to save that for another time because I think there's a lot more to drink offerings. But then there's sin offerings. Sin offerings is a sacrifice for sin. You, you commit a sin. You did something wrong. You injured somebody. You, and you should pay that person back and make recompense and everything. But if that person is around, you still you need to compensate society because you sin when you sin against one member of society, you sin against the whole of society, and so you need to compensate the whole of society. Just like if if you aren't being fruitful and multiplying, they want to remind you that's what you need to do. So you need to sacrifice something. Don't say how much. You need to sacrifice something, and they're not talking about a turtle dove. And, and they don't want you just to burn it up. They want you to give it in, even if it's a, a penny, like the widow's mite. That was the interesting thing. That she's a widow. She should be supported by the the priests of society. But she still takes... that. That's the real indictment. Why does the widow only have a mite? Isn't somebody taking care of that widow? <laughs> but she went and contributed it. All these stories that Jesus has, If we, once we understand... And he's talking about a social welfare system, a government with a social welfare system that strengthens the poor, melds the social bonds of righteousness in society together so that they can survive even during persecutions. If you understand that, then it takes on a whole new light. If you think it, it, it God is so insecure, he just needs your praises, praises from somebody who doesn't even get it doesn't even understand what Jesus was talking about, who's actually doing contrary to what Jesus said, then you're a part of that group that Jesus talks about, 
who said, who all believed that they believed in Jesus, but were actually workers of iniquity. And you ministers out there that are hearing this, don't be like some of the ministers I've seen that they say, well, this is true, but I can't tell this to my people. They will leave. They've left already. They left Christ already. If you're not preaching what Christ preached, they've left already. Paul preached Christ first. And what was Paul doing? He was funding and collecting for the social welfare system of of the early church. That's what they were doing. And that's what we need to do. So, sin offerings. It is it is still a free will offering. It is like a burnt offering. It's given up entirely. And you just decided, you know, I did this wrong thing and I put these people through this inconvenience and I want to make amends. And I've gone and paid, you know, like the AA. You go and you, you, you apologize to all those people that you hurt while you were drunk. But then you have to help others. This is part of getting your feet washed, which I talked about this morning. You have to go out and help others in a way that strengthens them. And you have to make it your business. That's one of the things at the beginning of Exodus 40. I'm saying they're open for business. What was the business of the tabernacle? It was the social safety net. So that nobody ever had to go back to another Pharaoh, Nimrod, or Cain, or King of Sodom, or FDR again. Your churches have dropped the ball. Now there's no other game in town. And now, I warn you, that if you try to... Now, God has shared a lot of things, and I've shared them with you, not only in line by line in the free church report, etc., but in the footnotes. And, and I've had several people, very smart people, come along and they want to change some stuff. They, oh, we want to we want to write it in Paleo Hebrew, or we want to do it in this, and we want to do it in that, and we want and and, and they're torn between the ritual. Next thing you know, they'll be killing turtle doves. No, no, never accept a substitute for the meaning of Moses. Never accept the metaphor as the meaning. The metaphor is the metaphor. The spirit, the metaphor is the letter. And it was written so it could be misinterpreted. Because if you couldn't misinterpret it, they would have burned them all long ago. But because they can misinterpret it, you can have false religion all over the places. And Jesus knew there'd be those that say they believe, but they're actually workers of iniquity. So you need to understand that that's what they're doing. They're misinterpreting it because Christ lets them misinterpret it. But what's your heart telling you? What what are you doing to expiate your sin? Well, you're going to have to go an extra mile. And Jesus talks about that. You have to go an extra mile with them. And that's going to be very important. So... And then there's the peace offering, which symbolizes a spiritual state in conformity to the law of nature, which is divine will. The law of nature, divine will, and uh, the will of God. These are all convertible phrases. 
they all mean the same thing. And, and it was said to be, you know, the peace offering, peace offering was said to be one of the earliest of the sacrificial offerings, but had to do more with the character of intent than the sacrifice itself. Any worshiper meaning those who desire to serve God, that's what a worshiper is, somebody who desires to serve God, had to do so by freely offering this peace offering. That is what makes a peace offering a peace offering. It's, it's freely offered. It's offered in peace. What was Melchizedek? Melchizedek was the highest king of Salem. The righteous king of Salem. Salem means peace. That That's what the word means. <laughs> yeah, I should put a... There's a lot I've written on that. Uh, and, and actually in dealing with uh, Strange Fire. Now, Strange Fire, there's at least two explanations I think are, are plausible at this time. And to some degree, both of them may be correct. This is... I actually saw this this morning when I was going through uh, either episode 15 or 16 of Jordan Peterson where one guy was saying this was the interpretation the other one was saying this was the interpretation. And I thought of that line of Tevia where he says, you are right. And then that guy says this other thing and he says, you also are right. <laughs> and he says, wait a minute, Tevia. He is right. And he is right. They can't both be right. (laughs) Actually, they can both be right. Because almost everything in the Bible has multiple layers and levels to your understanding. There is a physical message. You know, the Passover lamb, whatever you did not share, had to be burned up. That was actually burned up. But if you shared it, that's burned up too. Because once he ate, his portion of the lamb, that was burned up to you. It'd be burned up to me. I'm not going to eat it again. He's eating it. So what you don't share needs to be burned up. It needs to be shared in a timely manner. And that's why there needs to be a flow of casting your bread upon the waters. A flow, a daily sacrifice. A daily acts of love. For one another. Has to be. You know. Actually I do have that on the page. I just went to the page when I was waiting. Shalom. Shalom. How many times did they say it? Shal Lamad Mem is the basic words. And actually it even includes. Actually I mentioned Melchizedek. So I've actually done more work. That's the problem when you're doing work at midnight. One o'clock and two o'clock. You don't remember what you've all written down. But these peace offerings, I'll let you guys go study it because I'm going to run out of voice before I'm done here. But anyway, back to that peace offering. The Corbin of Christ is a peace offering. The Corbin of the Pharisees was not. Uh, they might call it a peace offering, but it wasn't a peace offering because it was a forced offering. You could consent and sign up. You get registered. You would be idiotis. You would be registered with the temple. Therefore, you could get benefits. See, they've always had registration. But originally the registration, you know, that half denarii that you had to pay in, 
I heard Ben Shapiro talking about that. That half half denarii, or was it half shekel? Half shekel, you had to pay it. Maybe that's where I got mixed up on its value. But it's a tiny little. It's either it's either half dime or it's like forty cents. <laughs> Maybe it's not a half denarii. I have to go look at the, now. I'm in doubt. I have to go look at the Hebrew and see what it actually says. But it's a small amount. It was paid once a year. And although some people said everybody had to pay it, but it's actually every family had to pay it at least until somebody shows me otherwise. That's all it was. And then your family was in in the network. You, you were covered by air life. <laughs> anybody in your family need help? They were covered. The rest of the offerings that's going to support that system, they have to be free will offerings. But that ante up, that was required. It's not compelled. It's just required to say that I'm in with you. I, I'm a part of this system. And then they should be taking care of your widow. And she should not be only have a pity to her. <laughs> she should be taken care of, well taken care of. And, of course, you need to do it in a way that strengthens the widow. Paul scolds the widows, especially the young widows. Like, why are you still widows? Your husband's died. Why haven't you married again? You know, find that there's lots of young men out there, lots of men your ages that could use a wife. Why are you not making, you know, like Jordan Peterson points out, if if no partner wants to have anything to do with you, if you can't find a mate, maybe there's something wrong with you. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't wish the dating scene on anybody, and I don't even believe in dating, but, uh, you know, if, well, actually, saints have a hard time finding girls, too, I guess, because <laughs> it takes a real woman to put up with a saint, <laughs> so, but, the reality is you should be helping somebody. If you have no family, join yourself with another family and help them. And one of the ways you do that is you join in a congregation. And then you come to the congregation not to, for what you can get out of it, but what, what you can bring to it. So the Corbin of Peace is the Corbin of Christ. And so even though it mentions peace offerings at least 84 times, and I find out you know, as I go through the text, it's not always exactly the way it they say, and sometimes they use other words other than peace offering. So I'm actually going through and looking at a lot of these and seeing when they add extra letters and when they take extra letters away and see if we can't see a pattern. But all that takes time and energy and I have to work for a living. And so time is limited. So let's see if there's some other offerings. Oh, trespass offerings, similar to sin offering. Uh, sometimes they call it a guilt offering, signifies restitution for an inadvertent offense. They say inadvertent offense, but, you know, it's not like homicide, but, you know, maybe it could be negligent homicide or negligent injury or harm you've done to somebody. You, you need to make a recompense. And, and the offering, that guilt offering, it's handled, you know, these guilt offerings often were to be the province of the priests to become a wave offering which removed them from local control or bias and therefore were considered most sacred in character. 
that that takes us to wave offering. Now we've talked about wave offering a couple of times and heave offering. And that heave offering is passed up. It's the offering passed up. So that they're talking about trespass offering. You don't give it necessarily to your local minister. You're casting your bread upon the water way out. <laughs> away from you so that you can get no immediate benefit from it. You see, like this is one thing, a rich man, he could go to his local congregation and he could give all kinds of stuff to his local congregation. Everybody thinks the world of him. There was a uh, Little Dorrit. There was a character in Little Dorrit. Uh, and that was a pretty good production, uh, Little Dorrit. There was a character in it who made himself seem like he was a benevolent, wonderful guy and everything. But the guy who was out collecting rents was a terrible, horrible guy. And all at the beginning of the story, you think, that guy is the terrible, horrible guy. And the other guy, the white-bearded guy, goes around and all the children, he gives little pennies away to the children. Meanwhile, he is milking the parents through the horrible landlord they see. And it ends up, by the end of the story, not to give the whole plot away, because this is just one of those subplots. The... The guy that everybody, you know, with the little lisp, I, I think that actor is a great actor. Uh, he's the good guy. <laughs> he's not the bad guy. He is really the hero of the show. <laughs> and the hero of the story. Or one of the heroes of the story. And the other guy that everybody thought was good, he's really the bad guy. <laughs> uh, great, uh, great uh, show. So, anyway, you can look up Little Dork. And that's a fun show to watch. So I'm giving you... So this is our little movie form, too. And, of course, then there's milk and meat offerings. And uh, that's another whole story, which we won't go into. So I'm going to call it quits, because I'm losing my voice. And we've been at this for... I only got an hour left. So we've done two hours. But I'll cut it down to a little bit less than that. But until then, join the network. Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. All the books are available for free online. I can't send you a book for free, but you can read them online. There's all the audios. Look for our podcast. Share our podcast with other people. You know, just email it off to them. Share them on Facebook. Share them on any other media. Podcasts are really great to share because you get censored way less with the podcast. <laughs> Eventually, they're going to find out what I'm saying, but I'm I'm been pretty careful, so we're not heavily censored. I'm sure preparing you is going to be censored. But in the meantime, you just keep seeking the kingdom of God and peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.